Hello, you're listening to The Midnight Owl. I'm your host, Rachel, and today we are discussing the second wife of Henry VIII, Anne Boleyn. So sit back, relax, and let's get into it. Okay, do you remember what we did last time? Yeah. What did we do last time? Tudors. Okay, all right. What What did we learn? Catherine. Yeah, all right. So we kind of left off that Henry is getting a little over Catherine because she hasn't given him a son. Right? Yeah. Yeah, she's had a lot of pregnancies and miscarriages, but no son. There is one child, Mary, the daughter. Mm-hmm. And that's the only living child out of that marriage. So they've been married for like 20 years now. Henry's been on the throne for about 20 years. And Catherine's older. So she's going into menopause. So it's pretty clear that she's not going to give a child. So Henry's like, it's not good. We're in a not good situation. And he starts getting pretty upset about it. But we're going backwards as we usually do. So no one knows exactly when Anne Boleyn was born. But we think it was either 1500 or 1501. Why don't we know exactly? So this happens like quite a lot. There's just a failure of record or we haven't found the record or the record was destroyed. You know, something like that. And it wasn't a royal birth. So like sometimes Mm -hmm. you'll have them, sometimes you won't. But definitely don't have hers. We just know given how old she was when she does start entering the record that it was 1500 or 1501-ish. And she doesn't discuss it in any of her letters or anything like that. So her father describes her as very forward and very curious that she loves to learn. And she quickly becomes the favorite of their three children. And she has her sister Mary, who is the king's mistress for a while, and her brother George. And Anne is precocious. She's outspoken. She really does have quite an appetite for learning. She loves to write and read. Um, she's quite bright. And she has a, a unique education for a girl in that she is very well educated. And um, which is kind of, I mean, it's, it's different for girls. Like, they aren't expected necessarily to be super well educated at this point. You are starting to get some influence of humanism that does suggest that women should be educated, which is basically what I wrote my whole dissertation on. But um, so Anne does have a lot of that. She also, before she's even like 12, I think she's probably 10 or 11, she goes to serve in the court of Margaret of Austria. And this court is a humanist court. Like it is, there is a lot of emphasis on education, on learning, on the sciences, on culture and... and in Austria. In Austria. In the Netherlands. Yeah. So, and... So, Austria and the Netherlands. Yes. So she's... um. Wait, this is a court that ruled Austria and the Netherlands. Yes. I'm going to double check that. But yes, that it's that's what I have in all of my notes. But okay. so it's very uh, Margaret is very forward leaning when it comes to women and what they should be taught. And and apparently, from what we can tell, Margaret is really, really fond of Anne and kind of takes her under her wing and and it puts a lot of time and effort into kind of grooming Anne to be this, you know, I hesitate to say progressive, but kind of progressive forward leaning as far as education goes. And, um, and so then Anne, like her sister, is appointed from Margaret's court. She's then appointed to Mary Tudor. So she, Mary Tudor is the queen of France after she marries the king of France, but she's Henry's sister, Mary. 
So she uh, goes over to France to marry the much older king, and he dies like three months later or whatever. But at this point, she needs English ladies-in-waiting, so that's when she gets Anne Boleyn is her lady-in-waiting in France. And, and in France, Anne just, like, blossoms. She just loves being in France. She loves French culture. She loves the French people. She loves the French language. Um, and, and this doesn't go unnoticed. People there make a lot of comments about how eloquent and graceful she is, how charming she is, how witty she is. Um, she's like an expert at the act of courtly love and courtly love, courtly dalliances were essentially this idea of that you could be in love with somebody from a distance, that that was kind of considered the most romantic thing, that this totally either unrequited love or forbidden love and that was kind of courtly love that you were a real gentleman because you could love somebody but you wouldn't ever attain them and so there's kind of this always wait wait never attain them yeah like you would never actually be with them courtly love was you know you are you'd write poems for them or songs for them you'd perform feats for them you might ride for them in jousts but you're not ever going to be with them right um and there was a lot of flirtation in these courts and that was, she was the queen of it. Like, she was so good at it. She just was, she was witty and charismatic and and people just really loved her. Um, she knew how to enthrall people and she knew how to tell a joke. She knew how to tell a story. She was very charismatic. And in fact, it seems like that was kind of where her draw was because she wasn't traditionally beautiful by that time standards. Um, in fact, a lot of people say she was beautiful because she was graceful. The French poet Lancelot de Carl said um, she became... Lancelot. Yeah, it's a good name, huh? She became so graceful that you have never taken her for an English woman, but for a French woman born and bred. So a little slam there at the English, but but she's quite graceful. Um, she's extremely well dressed, but like I said, she's not conventionally beautiful. She's very slim. She's very small. She's very flat chested. People said she looked almost fragile. Um, she has really, really, really long dark hair. And she's got uh, big black eyes that they talk about. These like really striking eyes that just she'd like look at somebody from across the room and, and draw them into a conversation. She was very, um, you know, she was she had really striking flashing eyes and they could say you could like see her wit in her eyes. Um, but yeah, at the time it was kind of considered she was also like she had like kind of an olivey complexion. One person who's not her friend describes her as being swarthy. But um, she's what swarthy, like kind of tanned and swarthy, like. But others would say like an olivey complexion, you know, like darker than an English person. Okay. Um, which well, the was opposite of um, old Catherine. Yes, exactly, exactly. Um, and and this doesn't go unnoticed by a lot of historians that she is in so many ways the opposite of Catherine. But Anne is, at the time, it's considered kind of beautiful to be a little bit plump, and and pale and light-haired and light-eyed and rosy-cheeked and, and this kind of thing. And this basically spoke to that if you're plump, you're being well-fed, which obviously in that time was rare for anyone below the aristocracy, essentially. So if you're skinny, you're poor, which is now kind of the opposite, I guess. But um, And then on top of it, if you were tanned, if you had any kind of color to your you're skin, in the fields. you're in the fields, exactly. So Anne was kind of the opposite, and she was flat-chested, where it was kind of like, you know, they wanted buxom lasses because they were well-fed aristocrats. But, she, so she, yeah, she's the opposite of Catherine, which, of course, I'm sure drew Henry in. So she returns to England in 1522, and she becomes a lady-in-waiting for Catherine of Aragon, which 
is just dark in so many ways. So it's while she's at court, when she returns to court, Henry notices her. And it wasn't, like, I'm sure, I don't think it was almost an immediate thing. Like, some people will talk about, like, instantly. I don't think it was necessarily that. Like, I think there was probably a slow thing. And I think with Anne, it was, like, the just all of these different strings of history, all of these different events happening kind of simultaneously. And it was, like, the perfect train wreck, essentially. Um, so she comes back to England around the point where, you know, Catherine's in in menopause it's clear there's not going to be another baby and henry is starting to doubt the legitimacy he's kind of haunted by this leviticus quote from the bible that you shall not marry your brother's widow it's an unclean thing and they shall be childless and so he's starting to think this marriage is is cursed and and what do i do i need an heir and let's not forget like his father took the throne so if henry doesn't get an heir it's not the tutors that are going to stay on the on the throne because that line dies. So there is a lot of, you know, there's, there's pressure there. So, um, like I said, in 1522, she becomes a lady in waiting to Catherine. So her family are very power grabbing kind of people. They want it. They want good matches because they want influence. Well, this seems to be working because almost immediately she gets the attention of Henry Percy, who will later become the sixth Earl of Northumberland. And the Earls of Northumberland are really powerful people. Um, cause they essentially control the North of England. So she falls in love with Henry Percy. Henry Percy falls in love with her. And in fact, so much so that he had had a standing engagement before and he tries to break it off so that he can be with Anne. And there's some evidence that it was like a love match, that they really did like one another. But they didn't... And there is a lot of evidence to suggest that they did actually get betrothed. And word gets to Wolsey and Wolsey is the chief advisor to the king. And, and Wolsey finds out about this. And it seems as though at this point, Henry has already decided that Anne's going to be the next mistress. Yeah. So uh, Wolsey gets outraged by this secret patrol for Henry Percy and orders it to be cut off. Like, this can't happen. And right. so the, the his excuse is that if you're going to get married and you're going to be in the court and you're going to be part of the, the court and aristocracy, you need permission to get married, which is true. You do. You need to have it approved by generally the, the monarch. But that it wouldn't be the first time nor the last time that somebody got betrothed or even married without asking the monarch. So it does seem as though Henry had some influence because that quickly was like, nope, not happening. And you're done. And this kind of made an enemy of Wolsey to Anne. Like she never really forgave Wolsey for ending this engagement and would later kind of contribute to Wolsey's downfall and later his, his um, fall from grace. So uh, it seems as though she has caught Henry's attention and she is an interesting human because once she knows she has Henry's attention, she one has the benefit, I suppose you could say that she's seen her sister be his mistress. So she knows her sister kind of just gave in, which a lot of people would do. It's the king, you know? Mm -hmm. And like, if he wants you, you're going to be, what are you going to do? You're going to say no? Like, and that's exactly what she did. She was really good. Like I said, at the courtly love thing. So she starts this flirtatious kind of cat and mouse thing of come here, come here, but not too close. And she wouldn't let him sleep with her. And she refused to become his mistress because she saw how quickly these mistresses would be tossed aside mm, and she hard to get yeah exactly she was playing hard to get and she's starting to get a lot of influence because again she's really smart she's well educated 
people really respect her opinion and her her influence and she's starting to have influence over Henry. And so Wolsey's trying to kind of limit this. So he enacts these things called um, the the Eltham ordinances and it basically takes the king's personal servants that are in his privy chamber and his privy servants from about 50 to 15 and those 15 are people that Wolsey's essentially paid for. She no Wolsey did and the why he did this is to assert more of his personal control over Henry to combat Anne's control over Henry and his influence over Henry um and Henry is starting to and there's a lot of like people wonder why Henry why this starts to happen and we'll talk more about this in the next episode but he's becoming very mistrustful he's very paranoid that everyone's kind of out to get him and and so this kind of plays to Woolsey's advantage in some ways, but more to Anne's. And that, you know, he starts, like, doesn't go anywhere without Anne, essentially. Um, And so they do this, you know, this kind of flirtatious thing. But by 1526, it's pretty clear Anne is who he's intending to to make his mistress. And he writes her all these letters. And there's a whole book of them. I have it um, upstairs, actually, of all their letters. But he is begging her in one, give yourself up body and heart and and entirely to me and become my sole mistress, um, which would have been a big deal because that would have been like an official position, essentially. And like, I'll give up all of her other women for you. None of his other mistresses apart from my wife. But he's he at this point hasn't slept with Catherine in two years. So it would legitimately she would be the only person he's sleeping with if this promise is true. And Anne writes back, I would rather lose my life than my honesty. Your mistress I will not become. So she refuses to become his mistress. And this really does become this like cat and mouse thing. And he would send her gifts and she'd send them back. And this very, it's a game. Um, There is some evidence that she would allow some, some sexual favors to keep him interested. Allow some sexual favors. Yes, to keep him interested. And in one occasion, he writes, he writes, maybe, I mean, he writes, the only thing we have evidence of is that he writes about missing, um, kissing her, her pretty dugs, which was a Tudor term for breasts. And I think in one translation, he says duckies. So there is some evidence that he, you know, had some physical contact. (laughs) You did not like that. Duckies is weird. Duckies is weird. And they're gonna, it's gonna be this lovely soundtrack of the dog licking his bone too while we discuss kissing pretty Duggies. <laughs> the puppy looks at us like, what is wrong with you two? Um, and he gives her all these gifts. Well, one of these gifts that he gives her is a black satin nightgown. And one, this is expensive. Satin nightgowns well, nightgowns just in general are kind of the realm of the wealthy. Most normal people don't have nightgowns. And so he gives her this really luxurious, warm, velvet-lined nightgown. And and she and the other side of it is the nightgown for the for aristocracy and for royalty is an extremely personal item of clothing. Like, you're not just going to let anyone see you in a nightgown. It's going to be your personal attendance, your family, like that kind of thing. So the fact that he gives her a nightgown is very intimate. It's like giving well, someone lingerie kind of, yeah. And, and so she refuses to let him see her in it. So what he does is he sends his court artist, Hans Holbein, and... Um, Take a, a picture. And do a drawing. And he, and he does. So that, that drawing survives. And what Henry... What starts happening is... Is that like the earliest recorded send nudes? Kind of, yeah. It's a little bit like that. Send nudes. I'm going to slip into something more comfortable. And... Uh, send and nudes. Send nudes. <laughs> 
so so Catherine knows she's losing her husband, so she starts dressing really luxuriously. She's wearing a lot of purple because that's the the color of royalty. She's really trying to assert herself. Well, Cat, well, Anne, not to be outdone, decides she's going to start dressing really luxuriously as well. And what she also does is she starts having this saying embroidered into her clothing, embroidered into you know other objects, which says, um, "This is how it's going to be, however much people grumble." So, mm. yeah, she's really making it obvious that, you know, this is what's happening and I'm coming for that, for that throne, This is what it's going to be, however much people grumble. Yep. But it's in French. But in French. But in French. So, yeah, she's not, Anne is not subtle. Like, that nothing Anne Boleyn did was really subtle. She was a very upfront kind of person. Mm. So, at this point, Henry says to Wolsey, solve this. Like, I need out of this marriage. And basically orders an annulment on the grounds that the marriage was never proper because um, Catherine had been married to his brother and that despite what she said, that marriage had been consummated and therefore he was married to essentially his sister, which would make it an illegal marriage, blah de blah blah They go to the Pope a bunch and are trying to get this marriage done. Well, but if you recall from last episode, the Pope had already had to write a paper saying that it was okay for that marriage to occur. Right. So for the Pope to now be like, well, no, would be like almost impossible for the Pope to do. And on top of that, the Pope is basically under the thumb of Charles V, who is Catherine's... Damn Charlie. Damn Charlie, who's Catherine's nephew. So like there's family blood here. He's the most powerful monarch in Europe. And he basically... The Spanish monarch. Yeah. And he like owns the Pope. So there's just no chance that this is going to happen. And Henry's getting so frustrated. Well, this goes on for seven years. Let's say cut out the Pope. Exactly. So then it's not really Wolsey who comes up with this idea. It's a kind of a young upstart, the protege of Wolsey, Thomas Cromwell. So Thomas Cromwell essentially suggests starting an English church. Now, I don't know if he had in mind what the Church of England has now become or would become, but essentially says if you had your own church, you don't need the Pope's permission because you're the head of your, your church, so you can do it. So that's like essentially what Henry does and splits and informs the Church of England and decides that he gets to make the rules. Right. So Anne's getting pretty cocky now. Like she knows she's getting what she wants. I mean, he's splitting from the church for her. Um, but the other thing that happens is she starts getting a little bit cruel and it wouldn't be the first time and it wouldn't be the last time. But Anne very publicly states that she would love to see all Spaniards at the bottom of the ocean and kind of says it in suggestion of the queen like she would like Catherine to be dead dead um quite that's quite scandalous yeah and she says things like this and she's very loud about it and and it's getting to the point where people are noticing that her will is like a law to the king um that is you know all he wants is to listen to Anne so Anne notices and this is just a little side note but so throughout their marriage Catherine was very skilled as well besides the fact that she was really good at, at running the country and the politics and finances and all of this she's also quite skilled at the domestic things and she loves to sew she had a real fondness for sewing um, Catherine. Catherine and so Catherine makes all of Henry's shirts and shirts are another like there's a lot of emphasis in the tutors about clothing and how significant they are and the shirts are really a big deal they're very what you wear close to your body um wealthy people have certain types of shirts so she makes all of henry's shirts herself well Anne finds out 
and is furious that he's still wearing these shirts that Catherine is making. So she puts an end to it. But instead of her being like, now I'm making your shirts, she like sends it out to a shirt making person and does that. But she's like outraged by the fact that Catherine is making Henry's shirts. Outraged that her, her, I don't know what opposite of a mistress is. Yeah. Her keeper. Yeah. His wife. Shirts made by his wife. Yeah. I don't think she's got a leg to stand on. <laughs> um, so what starts happening is, you know, like I said last time, Henry likes to surround himself with a bunch of lads, lads, lads. Well, now Enjoy. his lads, lads, lads are Anne's best friends. And it's like Anne's favorites. So she's installing men around Henry. She's installing lads. Lads that she can trust that have her best interests. Lads are installing. <laughs> um, so it's becoming very clear that Anne is about to be the next queen. And this is confirmed when in November of 1532, Henry takes Anne to Calais to meet Francis I of, Fr- of France. And, and you would basically, you wouldn't just take your mistress to, to go meet another, you know, you're taking your, your future queen. And to go on this trip, Anne wants something very special. She wants Catherine's jewelry, all of it. So she makes Henry go strip Catherine of her royal jewelry and all the jewelry she has so that Anne can wear it on this trip all to France. All of the jewelry. Yeah, like just totally strips Catherine of, of her jewelry. And Henry does it. And they get to France, and like I said, Anne has spent a lot of time in France. She was a lady-in-waiting in France. She's very popular in the French court. So she I goes... want someone else's jewelry. No. But this is apparently very common of Henry. Like, Henry just would take all of these wives' clothing and, and former people in his court that he either disgraced or beheaded, and then he would just, like, distribute their clothing, their jewelry, their personal items as gifts to other people that were now in favor. It's very dark. Like, I really don't like that aspect of him. I don't like a lot of aspects of him, but that is a bad one. Um, and so Francis does support this marriage. Got a different ring size. Wow. Suck it up, I guess. Get it resized? I don't know. But um, so Francis really does support this marriage. And he knows Anne. He's familiar with her. She spent a lot of time in his court. Um, so he supports it. They kind of get the blessing of the French monarch, which means that at least one other monarch will recognize this marriage as, as legitimate and kind of give some credence to this. Well, this might have just been the push that Anne needed because on this trip, they sleep together for the first time. And this has been seven years that they've been playing this game that, that Anne's been, come here, come here, get away, get away. And Henry's been trying to solve what he called his great matter. And so they sleep together. And it seems as though Henry is even more besotted with her than ever before. And... Oi! <laughs> um, so they start having sex. Now, the Tudors have some very interesting ideas about sex and what you want to achieve with sex and how to go about achieving those goals. So obviously, if you want a boy, the obvious thing that you need to know is that the sperm that creates girls come out of the left testicles and the the sperm that creates boys come out of the right testicles. I see that logic. So you have to tie a ribbon around the left testicle while you're having sex to stop any of the sperm from the left testicle coming out when you ejaculate. No, you don't. So that probably was happening. 
I liked, and, I liked that science until I heard that. And just as the left side and the right side have gender preferences in the male testes, so too does the woman's womb. So um, the right side is more likely to grow a boy than the left side is. So Anne apparently was quite fond of sexual positions that favored her right side and wasn't a fan of Henry doing missionary because she was more of a let's do it from the side so that you get the right shot. Into the right Sexual side. Sexual positions that favoured the right side. Yes. I don't know. How do you... Maybe I'm too vanilla. What's I it? mean, she didn't like missionary. What is she like? Yeah. So she was getting a little athletic. And apparently this, like... I suppose if she, like, fetal positioned. Mm-hmm. But then, like, on a cushion. Yeah. I think people still do that. I mean, I think you can... There's more than, like, three... And she probably, you know, was getting a little creative because she's now got the pressure to, to get this air out, mm. and uh, and she apparently was quite um, knowledgeable and passionate in the bedroom, and Henry was quite a conservative lover, and had remarked to a few people that he was like, kind of a little bit shocked by her sexual passion in the bedroom, and um, by December. So we're gonna do shock your partner. Exactly. Which is just a real surprise. <laughs> How's the sex? Ah, surprising. 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 Shocking. Shocking. Some might say. Some might say it's shocking. And um, so by December, Anne is pregnant. So now it becomes a real need to get married. When did this start? How long did it take? Like almost instantly. Like when it's did they go to France? Real quick. They went to France. What did I say? November. So by December, she's pregnant. And now there's a real push. We need to get married because this child needs to be legitimate because that's the whole point, right? You can't have another Henry Fitzroy. Like, you need to have an actual... Tudor. Yeah. So they get married on the 25th of January, 1533 in Westminster, and it was a relatively secret affair. In fact, no one knows where exactly this wedding occurred. And... It's an interesting, maybe, indicator of Henry's feelings on this, because he does marry her, but he marries her in secret. He hasn't quite gotten rid of Catherine yet. You know, is he the head of his church? Is he not? Is he confident in that position? But it is a secret wedding. They do get married. Isn't it interesting that they got the idea that the baby is sexed Mm. when it's conceived? Yeah. They had so many interesting ideas about about sex and conceiving and all that. true, I suppose. But, I mean, it's good that they got... Interesting they got, like, as soon as the baby is a... a, Well, the fetus is a thing. Mm -hmm. That there's a gender. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's, I mean, there's fascinating. Like, some people thought that there was, like, little people curled up in the heads of the sperm and, and, like, yeah, there were some really interesting ideas. But how did... How were they looking at heads of sperms? They had microscopes, types of them. So, yeah. Anyways. um, So, it would be four more months after they get married that the marriage to Catherine is annulled. Um, But Anne is very obviously pregnant. And it's a... a I'd look at my own swimmers. Would you? If we had a microscope? Yeah. Well, there's an interesting thought for your birthday. Scrap everything else I was going to get you. Here's a microscope. Anyway. Why has Ben missed seven days of work? It's been a weird week in this household. We've got through a lot of Petri dishes. (laughs) Ah, Gross. Um, 
So she's very pregnant, but it's also kind of considered a late pregnancy because they spent seven years trying to get this marriage to work out. So she's in her mid-20s when they start dating each other. Now she's about 32 and Henry's 41. Um, Reportedly, she craved apples and ate a lot of apples during her pregnancy. Mm. And now she sets out. She's kind of... Where, where, you know, modern women, when they're pregnant, they want to nest. They want to make their home comfy and cozy and get ready to have baby. Anne kind of goes about that. But the way she goes about that is destroying every trace of Catherine. Makes sense. Yeah. So she goes through and... Wait, you know, where's Catherine now? Catherine has been banished to essentially a minor castle. But they're not divorced. They get divorced um, while Anne is pregnant. They, st- oh. they have an annulment. Um, but so, she, so when you go into a Tudor-era castle or house... What you'll see on, on the ceilings and stuff are kind of a lattice work of stonework. And there will usually be initials of whatever monarch built it or was responsible for it. And when Henry built a lot of his, he would put HC for him and Catherine or HK. Um, and so now everywhere they go, Anne's putting HA, HA, HA everywhere. Stonework, clothes, into fireplaces, like all of it. It's HA everywhere. Um, later on, Henry tries to get rid of all of these things. And now it's on. it's like a... It's like a treasure hunt. There's very there's very few of them left, but in certain places you go to, you will see the occasional HA still. Um, so Henry tries to get rid of them and replace them with what? Well, we'll find out. And um, so Henry, so Anne's very very pregnant in 1533 of August, August of 1533. She's about to enter confinement, um, which I explained to you last time is like the all female realm. They go into the bedroom, draw the curtains, all that. Um, and Henry, right before she goes into confinement, Henry starts an affair. Of course it is. We don't know with who. Um, all she's ever described as is the very beautiful lady. And that oh, she, woman. the woman, the, the vague, beautiful woman. And this drives Anne absolutely crazy. And instead of acting the way that might be expected of a queen at this point, where it's just kind of grin and bear it, she goes into a total rage and publicly confronts Henry and screams at him for starting this affair. And is kind of expecting Henry to give her this, like, you know, kind of placating discussion and like, you know, it's going to be fine and I love you and, and all that. And he does not do that. He says to her, you need to shut your eyes and endure as more worthy persons have done before you. So Bosh. Bosh. And it's pretty clear that what Henry, Henry is now over this. It's been seven years. He's now attained her. Yeah. And, and he's just over it and he's attained her and she's hard to rein in. She's passionate and she speaks her mind and it's difficult. She's difficult. She's difficult. She's difficult. Um, so they do have a birthing chamber made that costs in today's money, roughly 500,000 pounds. And they've got this birthing chamber. What? That costs about 500,000 pounds. Oh, made. Yeah. So they've got like, no, no. So they've got like a really nice comfy bed with nice pillows and and blah, 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 blah. Um, And they are so confident that it's a boy that they have these announcements sent, like drawn up that are, that say like the announcing the birth of a son. And Henry is like, we're going to name him Henry or we're going to name him Edward. And he like, he's, they have all these plans. They're so confident. It's a boy. And on the 7th of September, Anne goes into labor, and at the next day, around 3 p.m., she gives birth to a beautiful, happy baby girl uh, named Elizabeth. And upon seeing his daughter, Henry says, you and I are both young, and by God's grace, boys will follow. So he's pretty disappointed that it's a girl, and Anne is as well, but she is kind of counter to what might one might expect from what we know about Anne. She is a really doting mother. 
And generally you take the babies, you send them off to a nursery and like somebody else raises them. Well, she keeps Elizabeth right next to her to the point where she has like a special pillow made up so that while she's going about her queenly duties, Elizabeth can like lay on the pillow next to her and she can keep her close to her. And she has her with her all the time. And she basically right from her birth announces like, I want to breastfeed her. I want to have her near me all the time. And Henry is outraged at this and is like, no, you don't breastfeed. You're a queen. You know, we need to get pregnant again. You will have a nursemaid do this for you. And around Christmas of 1533, she gives Henry a fountain. And these fountains show three naked women with their nipples spurting water. And a lot of people take this as a fertility symbol that she's telling Henry that she's pregnant. So all of these rumors start flying around that she's pregnant. And there's kind of this like talk that her stomach is really swollen and her breasts are engorged. And, you know, yeah, she's definitely pregnant and she does, she, she looks bigger and blah, blah, blah. All these go around. Well, what we think of this is, is a phantom pregnancy that she wanted so badly to be pregnant. And there was so much pressure on her and so much mental stress that her body faked a pregnancy, essentially. And this isn't uncommon for tutors. There was so much pressure on them to conceive and to give birth that there are several examples of, of tutor girl, women having phantom pregnancies. Um, your, your mind is just under so much stress that your body does what it needs to do to assuage that and your stomach swells and your breasts get bigger and you have all the signs of it. Um, she doesn't get pregnant until Elizabeth is about two years old and she's suffered miscarriages and it's been stressful. And at this point, her and Henry, like, don't like each other very much. Like, this marriage is not going very well. Um, he's sleeping with her lady-in-waiting, Mary Shelton. They have a six-month affair. Um, and in summer of 1535, Henry goes on progress and stops at Wolf Hall. And Wolf Hall is the home of the Seymours. And the Seymours are... Wolf Hall rings a bell. Yeah, there's, a, been there? there's a book and a series called Wolf Hall. Oh, I hope it Yeah. Um, uh, yes, you did. Yeah. Um, the home, so this is the home of the Seymours. It's, uh, they're ancient gentry. They're not nobles. So, and the sons, Edward and Thomas are rising in prominence at Henry's court. They're one of the, you know, two of the lads that are in his group. Lads, lads, lads. Lads, lads, lads. And, um. So lads selected by him. These two aren't. These are selected by Henry. So these are specifically, he's chosen these two. Um, and they're wealthy and they're gaining influence. But Henry isn't necessarily there to see them. He's there to see their sister, Jane. Oy oy. Oy oy. So he goes there to see Jane. Well, this is a little bit awkward because Anne is with him. And she is quite aware that he is enamored with Jane. And so Jane is an odd choice. But again, maybe he's going the opposite like he did with Anne from Catherine. Now he's going kind of the other way. She's very quiet. She's very plain. She's a little bit fat. She has a double chin. Um, and she is barely literate. What do you say these are? Ancient? Gentry family. So not nobles, not aristocracy, but gentry. What does that mean? They're just like a social class below the aristocracy. Right. Still quite wealthy. Um, So like I said, she's quiet. She's plain, a little bit chunky and barely literate. So the opposite of olive complexion, dark hair, black eyes, very smart, very, very smart. And she's very much the opposite. Um, And no one really understood why he was into Jane. And someone once commented that she must have really good riddles, which was a tutors were very into innuendos, which was a a wink and a nudge kind of way of saying she must be good in bed is that she had good riddles. So anyways, um, so Anne knows this 
And what she does is she just becomes really, really sexual. And she starts throwing herself at Henry and, like, trying everything. And apparently, I mean, this kind of disgusts... It kind of disgusts him. She got some boobs out. <laughs> Probably more than that. Oh. Um, and, but at the same time... Well, this is Anne. This is his wife. So she can get more than that. Um, That's crazy. Spaniards. She's, she's Spanish. English. She's English. See, I knew you weren't she's listening. Olive skinned. There you go. Um, so she gets pregnant. But it is clear that Henry no longer, like, loves her. They're not. He's not overly that interested in her. And um, in January of 1536, Catherine dies. And Henry and Anne celebrate. They wear yellow, which is the color of celebration. They have jousts. Like, they just go all out it's to celebrate. Dark. Yeah, it's real dark. But kind of mean. Yeah. And I think there was, there's definitely a mean streak to Henry. But there is a mean streak to Anne as well. Um, and three weeks after they wear yellow and celebrate Catherine dying, Anne miscarries a baby boy. So Anne is out now. Like Henry's done with her. And after this, um, well, one person comments Chapuis. He's the the Spanish uh, envoy that basically represents Spain's interest in the English court, who really does not like Anne. But he he quotes that she has um, she's miscarried her savior. And she says, well, it must. It's not for any other reason other than the fact that a couple weeks before Henry had taken a really hard fall while he was jousting and was unconscious for two hours, and that the stress of this caused her to miscarry, which is totally viable. Like that could absolutely have been what happened, um, and that did happen. Henry took really hard hit and seriously injured his leg, which would affect him for the rest of his life. This is gangrenous leg. Mm-hmm. And this begins his his decline into obesity. And he's constantly in pain. He can't be physically active anymore, which for someone like Henry is a huge deal. He spends all of his time out, you know, jousting, hunting, riding, tennis, all of it. And now he can't. Tennis. Yeah. He can barely, he can barely move. What do tennis balls used to be made out of? I have literally no idea. What an obscure thing to ask me. I just didn't know tennis was that old. Um, so he begins to gain weight and get real, real cranky. So he tells Cromwell, rid me of Anne. And um, this can't be an annulment because the annulment was so botched essentially last time and it just can't happen. So basically Cromwell goes about destroying Anne. And in the meantime, Jane is taking a page out of Anne's playbook and is returning gifts. She's not sleeping with Henry. She's, you know, doing all this stuff. But at the same time, she's quite demure and is, you know, essentially saying, I can't sleep with you because I'm so pure and blah, blah, blah. And and then Cromwell is destroying Anne. So what he does is Cromwell basically takes these men that she has installed in Henry's household. So Henry Norris, William Brereton, Mark Smeaton, and Anne's own brother, George, and decides these are the men he's going to use to destroy her and brings to Henry this you know quote-unquote evidence that he's found that she's slept with all of these men her brother including her brother lovely and that she's she's not only adulterous but incestuous anything to you know satiate her her sexual needs and to have a son he told henry that she slept with her brother yeah because henry wants something to get rid of anne Right. Yes. So he just, he went all out. He was like, it's not just enough that she slept with one person. She slept with five and like one of them's her brother, like that kind of thing. And then he starts getting her ladies in waiting to testify against her. And this lady in waiting was like, yeah, I saw her stick her tongue in her brother's mouth. And I saw her brother stick his tongue in her mouth. 
and like I saw this happen and yeah there's no evidence that this happened in fact most historians have basically asserted hands down she definitely never slept with any of these people like definitely not her brother but definitely no one else too um so he gets all these people to testify against her and it's just it's just slaughter and uh and then there's this this was kind of interesting I had not really known much about this one of the things that shocked the people in the trial the most is that people asserted that her and her brother laughed at the king's clothing. And that really upset people because essentially the king's clothing is an extension of the cl- the king's self. And if the king is a divine, you know, chosen by God and now he's the head of the church, to laugh at the clothing is to laugh at the man. And it's quite serious. And he takes the clothing seriously, as and he, we know. And he takes the clothing seriously. So people are like really shocked by all of this evidence. And she's in the Tower of London... Um, she gets taken in, uh, in May to the Tower of London. And then there's a real speedy trial that's basically performed by people that used to be her friends. I think her uncle even serves on her trial and condemns her. Anne Boleyn's uncle. Yeah. And, um... Because he was forced to or because he believes the rubbish? Or don't know. Um, he was a pretty cruel dude. I don't think it mattered to him. I think it was just, I want to stay in favor and I want to stay in power. Um, and so Anne... Henry is so overhand that even before her trial is, like, completed, he sends for the executioner. And he gets her an executioner who's a French executioner that will execute her with a sword. And he sees this as kind of a nicety um, because generally aristocracy, if they're going to be executed, they're executed with a um, with a um, axe, which is considered nicer than being hanged, essentially. But the axe is very fallible. It often takes multiple hits to get the, someone's head off. Um, people miss a lot. Or is the she got an axe? So got she a gets a sword. So he's considering this as being very nice. Well, she gets thrown in the tower and this swordsman, due to one reason or another, is delayed over and over and over again. So the she's, guillotines weren't as common as it's made out in movies, right? Well, no, and certainly not in England. Those were French. French. Um, but... He this this swordsman is delayed over and over again. So Anne's in the tower, and it's like, okay, tomorrow morning you're gonna be executed. And then like she'd wake up and be like, nope, not today. Like the next day, and she makes some comment. I don't know the exact quote, but essentially, you know, the guy who is keeping her prisoner, her jailer, is like he kind of likes her and pities her. And she's writing all these desperate letters to to Henry, and and she's lamenting the fact she's not gonna get to see her daughter grow up. And you know, it's dark. She's and she was kept in a spot where she could watch these men that had been her friends, including her brother be executed. So she's watched all of these people be executed. She's watched her brother be executed. She knows it's, she knows it's coming for her. So, um, she's mentally pretty exhausted. And he says something like, well, you know, don't worry. It's a swordsman. It'll be over quickly. You know? And she's like, well, it's a good thing. I have a little neck. Like she says something <laughs> like that. And he's like appalled, like, you know, like a brother. No, there's this guy that's like jailing. Oh, jealous. Sorry. Yeah. And, uh, and she's, you know, he's appalled that she would make this joke, but it's pretty famous that she kind of was like at the point where she's like, yeah, fuck it. Like Mm -hmm. as long as it gets, I just want it to be over. Um, so on May 19th of 1536, she's led to the scaffold wearing dark gray damask. The letters letters to Henry. Whatever letters you're sending from the. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's funny that they keep the shit in it. It is, yeah. And they're they're sad, man. The letters that she sent to him from the tower are just sad. Like, she's proud. She's a proud woman. But she's also, like, she knows that if she goes, her daughter's going to be considered illegitimate. And Elizabeth will be cast aside and mistreated. She knows 
all it's it's sad it's dark um so on may 19th of 1536 she's led to the scaffold wearing dark gray damask with crimson uh petticoats underneath and so some people think crimson because the tutors believed that if you wore red it drew heat so it would make you warmer but as she's going to die i maybe don't think that i also think and i know that crimson and many historians accept this as well is the color of martyrs so she goes to the scaffold wearing the color of martyrs oh i was gonna say that for blood no and um so she's she's blindfolded and basically the executioner is uh has someone maybe in the audience um she kneels and she puts her hair up into the cap and, and they're blindfolded and she says her final speech and there's some debate about what she actually said and 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 was it you know if you read the words it's very much like you know god save the king i don't hold anything against henry like da 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 but it's you know there's some debate um isn't it was falsely recorded or falsely translated falsely recorded essentially um but i mean she would say that and it would make sense like you don't want there to be any repercussions to your daughter like you don't want to say like go fuck yourself and then like elizabeth be you know yeah. even worse so um so then she's blindfolded she's she's put on her knees and then you know she the executioner has somebody in the audience say you know shout like what's over there or say something and then she turns to listen and that way she exposes her neck and in one swift movement um her head comes off and people are horrified because he goes to lift up her head because that was kind of the part of it is that you have to lift up to show that you've successfully done it and he lifts up her head and she's still praying like her because it's taken a second for the you know so she's still talking when he lifts her head up and people are like horrified um and henry is so just disgustingly evil in this i don't know why this always gets me that he didn't provide a coffin or a place for her to be buried so her ladies in waiting yeah yeah he is grimacing so he didn't provide anything like that there was no like consideration for anything it was just he she was trash that he was done with so i'm like not gonna cry so her ladies in waiting that had accompanied her to the scaffold found an old um arrow box that like for the transport of newly made arrows and they put her in that and they like put her head in with her and they they sealed it up and that is what she is still in in um the tower chapel of saint peter ad vinicula in um in london the tower of london and oh. she's buried there and um not a bad place to be buried no it's actually quite pretty it's i mean she's buried with a bunch of other criminals and stuff because that's what that that is for is for criminals and people that have been executed mm. but it is it's a pretty little chapel it's quite nice she's buried up by the altar and like it's there's flowers and stuff over her grave and it's pretty um the locations you know there's she it was weird going to the tower and like standing where she'd been executed and does like she have any, um, did her daughter survive yes does she have um, descendants do you know who her daughter was someone berlin mary berlin mary queen of scots nope that is elizabeth the first oh i thought she was a mary mary was her sister yes mary was her sister Ugh. so her daughter would become the most famous of the tudor monarchs probably and the longest reigning queen until the one we have now no henry's the most famous over elizabeth the first henry, henry yeah come on okay because mm. of his wives well, i think yeah. it's purely like yeah but um so anne is executed and the next morning i didn't know elizabeth was a tudor yeah elizabeth is in elizabeth the empire elizabeth what do you mean the empire what do you mean is that like a movie you're talking about no, it was like she went and made the empire oh well yeah i mean there's like 
It was not. It was Elizabeth, right? Yeah, like the fact that one of the states in America is called Virginia is because that she was the Virgin Queen. And like, didn't she? Was it, did she do India? Was that Elizabeth? No, that's Virgi- That's Victoria. Victoria. That's the eighteen hundreds. How are you English? I thought Elizabeth. So Elizabeth just did America. Yeah, but that's not what she's really known for. What's she known for? Defeating the Spanish Armada. No one expects the Spanish Armada. That was a reference you didn't get last time. No. Um, so the next morning after Anne is executed, um, Jane Seymour travels to Hampton Court and Henry proposes to her. And he gives her clothes, this whole bunch of clothes that are directly from Anne's wardrobe. Oh, grim. Isn't that grim? It's so grim. He gives her all these clothes from Anne's what wardrobe. Fit. Yeah, no, yeah, because she's like chunky and Anne was slim. And um, my last wife was skinny. Was skinny, yeah. And then they are married on the thirtieth of May. So Anne's executed on the nineteenth of May, and he marries Jane Seymour on the thirtieth of May, fifteen thirty-six. Yeah, ten day rule in it. <laughs> it's the ten day rule. Would you wait ten days after I died? Well, he waited eleven to be polite. That's true. That's true. So he surpassed the ten day rule by a whole ten percent. Yeah. Would you? Ten days. Yeah. Well, you have to follow the ten day rule, otherwise it's but. How long would you wait? Yeah. Do I have someone in waiting? Yeah. 12 days? Okay, 12 days. All right, fair I'm enough. A day, I'm a whole day politer than That's really nice. That's really nice, yeah. He was an asshole, you see, so yeah. if I'm at least better than him. Oh, you're a prince, aren't you? Mm, nice yeah, guy. you're a nice guy. Uh, Henry wore white to his own wedding um, to show that he was pure and, and chaste and starting over. Little New legend. starts. You know, pure as snow. Pure as driven snow. Um, Henry confides that he's he's a little bit concerned that he won't father any children on Jane because he's gotten quite fat at this point and he suffers from like kind of extreme erectile dysfunction and uh so he's a little bit worried and he really wants Jane to appear very legitimate so when her first public appearance as queen comes she wears he gets her um a dress that has 560 pearls on it and pearls are also a symbol of purity and and all Wealth. that and and fertility and all that um and jane is pregnant by the end of 1536 and was announced in february of 1537 and um that's where we're leaving off on this episode and that was that was anne boleyn i think i'm surprisingly i've heard of catherine of aragon yeah but i think anne is was the only wife of henry i knew the name of off the top of my head yeah she is i think she's far and away the most famous one and Why? she's um because i think what she led to i mean the new church the church of england yeah you know and i could have focused on that more like there's a lot of politics that went into obviously starting a new church and who cromwell was and and all that um i've also heard of cromwell but didn't didn't know who he was well so there's thomas cromwell and there's oliver cromwell oh okay um so oliver cromwell is the 1600s in the civil war that was his thing um so that a lot of people are more familiar with Yes, um, but a lot of people are more familiar with Oliver Cromwell than they are with Thomas Cromwell. Um, I wrote a interesting, I think, an interesting research paper on, on on Thomas Cromwell. He's an interesting human being, but but I think Anne was a complex human, and perhaps so complex that it it hurt her. That wasn't really something. That wasn't a trait that people looked for in women in that time. And, yeah, I don't like smart women. You know, and <laughs> she was she was intelligent, and like I said, she was witty. She spoke her mind. That wasn't what Henry was looking for necessarily. Your mind. Your mind. You shouldn't have one of those. And then he goes to Jane, who's barely literate. Um, and Anne. Keep your mouth shut and your legs open. Yeah, kind of exactly. And Anne. And to the right. And then on the same on one, you know, and Anne then obviously she clearly had these 
this cruel streak. There's actually, she, when she gives birth to Elizabeth, this is so messed up. When she gives birth to Elizabeth, um, and Elizabeth is coming, is going to be baptized. She makes Henry take from Catherine the baptismal clothing that she had made herself and brought from Spain for her future children that she planned to have with Will Arthur and then Henry. And so this piece of fabric had to Catherine become a reminder of all of the children she'd lost and all of the effort she'd put into trying to, to secure an heir for Henry. And Anne was like, I want that. Like, go get that from her. And so Henry goes to demand this from Catherine, which obviously breaks Catherine's heart that he would ask for this. And it, she goes so, she's so enraged that Anne would ask for this that Henry then, like, drops it and doesn't, doesn't ask for it again. And I think he liked Catherine. He liked it, yeah. You think he liked Catherine or liked that Anne was mean? Catherine. Yeah. Well, I think Catherine was far and away. I mean, he married her for 20 years. I think they genuinely were very much in love. Um, and if she it's had. Just mental. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, and, and, but Kath, I mean, Anne, so obviously she has this mean streak, you know, she asked for the baptismal clothing. She asked for the jewel. She took the jewels, you know, um, she celebrated her death while wearing yellow and, and all of this stuff. There was a mean streak, but at the same time, she was a doting mother. She was hugely active in Elizabeth's life and hugely influential in Elizabeth's education and who Elizabeth would go on to be, even though she died when she was three. She strikes me as one of those people. You know, you see, you see me on telly quite a lot, and it's like, I, can't, I am a mother. Yeah. Like, I can't yeah. be bad. I'm a mother. Like, kind of. You know, like, but I mean, modern, like, it was to potentially her detriment for a woman who put so much effort into being presentable, into being, you know, a showman. Mm-hmm. She did, like, the fact that she brought her daughter with her and wanted to breastfeed her and, like, these things that might have potentially destroyed her image she wanted to do because she wanted to be a good mom and she was a good mom. So I think she was a complex human. Um, I think if you met her today, she might be a little bit obnoxious, but like, yeah, but like successful, you know, that's how I feel about her. Um, So yeah, so that was Anne Boleyn and that kind of sets the ground for who will be our, our final Tudor monarch, Elizabeth. You're not covering the other wives. I will, but it'll be shorter because they they were in quick succession. We could just do an episode of the wives. We might too, which is when kind you of did a bummer. Seven seven episode plan. Mm-hmm. Are you sticking to it? I think we'll probably come close. I think I might do. Mm. I'm not gonna do because I mean each one of the women that he marries deserves their own podcast, let alone episode. Um, it, it's but they're all really fascinating. They're all really interesting women, um, and they all deserve that. But they're quite such quick succession that you know and since this isn't a tutor's podcast necessarily mm-hmm. so so yeah so that sets the groundwork for our final tutor monarch who will be elizabeth um but right now henry is married to jane seymour and jane seymour is pregnant and, and that is announced in february 1537 and while anne craved apples she craved cucumbers so freak join us next week and we will continue our tutor series okay bye okay bye. bye stoker, bye, stoker. Hey guys, thanks for listening to The Midnight Owl. Today's sources include The Private Lives of Tutors by Tracy Borman, as well as Wikipedia. If you are loving what we're doing here at The Midnight Owl, please like, subscribe, maybe leave a comment, and tell your friends and family about us. And we will talk to you soon. Thanks!